that your glory would come. We bind up anything of the enemy that would try to hinder in any way. But Lord, I ask you that you'll come powerfully upon me, Lord. Let there be a fresh anointing. And Lord, that you'll speak through me everything that needs to be spoken tonight. And Lord, I pray that there be such an anointing that all of us, to give you our best here, our full attention, our focus, people get locked in, tuned into what you're speaking. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to have good fertile soil of hearts and minds, the Holy Spirit to captivate, to, to lock our minds into what you're showing us, our eyes and ears to be able to see. Lord, our hearts are, are ready. And this will go as living seeds sown into good fertile soil of hearts and minds and lives, watered by the Holy Spirit. And will take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains. And this will be a blessed, powerful time in the Word. And literally every single thing that you want spoken and everything that needs to be accomplished through this time will take place. And it will be effective and fruitful. Let the winds of your spirit carry this where it's supposed to go. Let your angels watch over it. As In Jesus' name, we agree together. We bind the enemy that would try to hinder the word of the Lord right now in Jesus' name. And Lord, we thank you. Let everything be accomplished. We believe this now, and we pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. So, Brother Zach, we're good to go, right? All right. If you could break down just a tiny bit, just so it's not got such a hum to it. All right, if y'all would, just give me your best here tonight. I'm going to talk about something that's quite serious. And this is not going to be extremely long, but I want everybody to really hear me tonight because this is extremely important. And I cannot stress how important it is, nor can I stress how dangerous this realm is. We, we have got to get a grasp on this, especially in the region that we're living. It's serious. But as I talk about this, I believe that God's really going to open your eyes. It's going to be a real blessing. We're going to grow together through this. Even, even this, you know, it was interesting dynamic because it's really actually quite good tonight. And still trying to resist me. He does not like being exposed. And this, this sermon really is going to do that in, in a major way. So... Anyway, I just felt a lot of, you know, resistance and something trying to oppress, but it's not going to work. All right, so let's go through this together. Let me give you a, a little bit of background about the church of Ephesus. The Apostle Paul, let's start with Revelation. This isn't in the notes, but I think that you guys will all um, remember this, and you may want to jot down a few notes in this. But the Apostle Paul, <clears throat> whenever he was going through Ephesus the first time, which I think was his first missionary journey, but I could have this mixed up. He had three missionary journeys. The last one was, was shorter, and he was mainly just visiting churches. But if I remember correctly, I think his first missionary journey, he went through Ephesus, but nothing significant happened. It wasn't anything noteworthy. But the second time he went through Ephesus, we read about it in Acts chapter 19. And man, the Spirit of God fell. Y'all remember this story? The Bible says that the Holy Spirit moved so powerfully in Ephesus that Paul ended up staying there for two full years until all of Asia heard the gospel. It says that there were so many um, you know, different sorcerers and witches and people getting saved that they were bringing so much stuff they were repenting of that they had to have a huge bonfire to burn all of it, and it was worth a lot of money. And... It was such a powerful move of God that even handkerchiefs and aprons that were brought to Paul and, and he prayed over them or whatever and sent them out, the anointing was so strong that even those cloths that went to people, they were being healed, 
They were being delivered from the demonic. It was a powerful move of God. And so I said all that because you have to bring in context that the church of Ephesus was born in the fires of revival. So, if you look at the book of Revelation, Revelation 2 and 3, there's the seven churches of Asia. And it starts with Ephesus, but it ends with the church of Laodicea. And it's a timeline for the 2,000 years we call the church age that started with Ephesus being symbolically revival. The first 300 years, the church lived in a place of the presence and the power of God that was normal. And it was commonplace for healings and miracles and signs and wonders and the power of God to break forth in great revival. It was awesome. But somewhere along the lines, about 300 years into it, Constantine came up and you know had this so-called conversion, and I don't want to get too much into that. But around 300 years had passed, and now the church begins to lose that. And the true Christians went underground into hiding, the, the Roman Catholic system came into power and it went into the time of the dark ages but those first 300 years was a time that God was really moving and so whenever I talk about this tonight I want you to understand that the threat is what Satan is concerned about is that a move of God will come and revival is like an over answer to prayer it's like an extreme. So picture for a moment, some guy's got a big boat, but it's, you know, it's in a dry, dead riverbed, and there's no water, so it's not going anywhere. So he's sitting on his boat, and he's crying out to God, I need you to send some water so that this thing can move. And so you would think just, you know, several feet of water, maybe three or four or five feet, come in, pick the boat up, and off he's able to go, but no. When revival comes, it's like an over-answer to prayer. So all of a sudden, it's like he looks behind him and this huge wave is coming. And he's bracing himself for the impact. The water comes in. The boat shoots up really high. Next thing you know, he is flying forward, waves everywhere. And you've got to pastor revival but not try to control anything. So he's smart enough to know, i just got to flow with the river. And keep this thing in the middle of this thing and just go forward. If the river bank turns to the left, I'm not going to keep going straight, jump the bank and crash into a tree. I'm going to turn left and go with the river. The river's in charge at this point. You're just moving with the river. And the pastors and leaders' job is to be at the helm and you're steering, but your goal is to just stay in that river and stay in the center of that river and move with what the river is doing. So this is a picture and type of revival, and this is what Satan is afraid of, because when revival comes, there is huge breakthroughs that happen. And we're living in a time, and I know everybody knows this, we're living in a time that we're not going to see great advancement without seeing God move. You're not going to be able to with your human reasoning get the job done you're not going to be able to do it through entertainment you're not going to be able to do it through human effort all of this you know is there but it's not going to produce eternal fruit the only way you're going to see real change and it be significant is by the holy spirit moving in power okay and so this is where we're coming from tonight now in dealing with ephesus 
Paul, this great revival broke out. He was there for two years. Great advancement to the kingdom. Awesome things happening. And whenever he left, he began to write these letters to these different churches that he planted. And so you have to read the book of Ephesians in context that Paul is writing this to a church that was born in the fires of revival. And Paul, whenever he wrote about his time in Ephesus to the Corinthians, he said that I'm going to stay on here in Ephesus because an effective door has opened unto me. He's talking about revival. And there are many that oppose me. See, I'm bringing all this into context. He told the Corinthians, look, I'm not coming yet. I'm staying on here because God's moving. And there's also great opposition. And so that's the thing. Anytime God's moving, Paul connected it. He said there's an effective door, but there's also opposition. And so he writes this letter to the church of Ephesians after he's gone, the church of Ephesus. And as you go through it, you see that in I believe chapter 5 toward the end of it he starts talking about your home being in order about men being leading the way they need to wives being submissive children obeying and honoring their parents and while this is happening he then goes straight into about spiritual warfare and this is where I want to talk about this today the Bible says our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the principalities, against the powers, against the world rulers of darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the armor of God so that you'll be able to resist the evil day, or in the evil day. So you see principalities, you see powers, you see world rulers, you see wickedness in the heavenlies. And Paul begins to outline something to the church of Ephesus why because they were born in the fires of revival and he knew that they were going to be facing spiritual warfare is this making sense and so we're dealing with principalities and powers I'm going to begin to go down through this but I want you all to hear this tonight because this is extremely important World-ruling spirits blanket the planet with their influence. You have things, I, I don't have time to get into this. I'm just doing like what's called a cursory look at this, just real basic. But you have like, for an example, an antichrist spirit, although there's around seven, I believe, that would be called world rulers. But world-ruling spirits will influence the entire planet with their influence. Just like the antichrist spirit influences much of the world in different ways then you have underneath world ruling spirits you have principalities principalities comes from a Greek word arche where we get the word architect principalities they actually will blanket a region with their influence so Satan cannot be everywhere at one time so he delegates his authority out to where over nations, there'll be really high-ranking principalities. I believe that Leviathan, the seven heads and ten horns you read about in um, Revelation, that the seven heads have to do with seven world rulers, but the ten horns are the ten principalities. Because there's going to be ten areas that the Antichrist seems to connect with these ten geographic areas somehow to unite the world system with a global 
unified world of some kind. And so these ten different areas have these huge principalities over them. But principalities are not limited to just being over those ten areas. It's not limited to just nations. Like For example, in America, they would be a principality that Satan is assigned to this nation. And he would primarily be hanging out in Washington, D.C. And you wonder why there's so many issues there. There's, and Satan has made sure there's a lot of stuff. Like, for example, um, the Freemasonic main lodge of you know the whole nation is in Washington. There's a reason why. Satan's trying to consolidate something there because that's where decisions are made that affect the entire um, nation. And so also, you're dealing with capitals. Over states, there's principalities. Here in Texas, I believe there's a principality that hangs out in Austin because that's where our capital is. But even beneath that, you have principalities that will be over different regions, like over the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. There's even ruling spirits, however you want to call them, a little miniature principality, I guess, that will sometimes be over areas like a college university or will even possibly be over a neighborhood or something like that where Satan is for some reason trying to have some kind of surveillance and some kind of control. But these are, these are ruling spirits. Principalities are intelligent and they're powerful and they're to not be underestimated. And just like it comes from that Greek word archae where we get architect, an architect will blueprint and strategize. And, and you know, a principality will sit back and study a region, will study the condition of the church in the region, will study who's prayer warriors and who's not, what ministers are anointed and who's not, will study if there's going to be evangelism or not, and this principality's got a region under surveillance. And based on the surveillance, we'll begin to strategize how will be the most effective way to set something up to oppose this region so that it gets locked up and there's nothing of significance going on spiritually. He knows that as far as Christians go, if they're sincere Christians and they're saved, what's he going to do? The only thing he can do is just try to make that church a social club and to try to get them lukewarm and that they're not really going to have a burden to get out and win souls. They're not going to have a burden to pray. They're just kind of going to hang out and talk, you know, just fellowship together and that's it. And so principalities, it's under surveillance. They strategize and then based on that, they, they blueprint out what needs to be done and then they will send the powers the powers or spirits that traffic from the second heaven down here and they carry out what the principality wants to see happen. And the Bible calls Satan the prince of the powers of the air and there's something about that. There's something that will circulate in regions. And these power spirits come down and they really affect the, the thought life and the emotions of people. They really target and attack people. And what they're trying to do is they get their orders from that principality, but they're trying to bring down the, the will of that principality into a region so that that region will be ineffective for the kingdom of God. And then you have lower class spirits that work in the lives of maybe individuals or families and sometimes churches if they allow it and institutions of different kinds. But these are lower class spirits that traffic here on the earth. 
And so as Satan begins to strategize and he begins to, to plan out what he's wanting to do in a region and these powers are carrying out his purposes, you have to study a region and begin to see what is in that region that can give an indication as to how we need to pray. For example, in our region, which I'm going to get into this in a moment, there's things like Freemasonry, in the, and definitely in the past, but I'll, get, I'll come back to that. Freemasonry, there's Native American influence, there's witchcraft, there's religion, there's um, a lot of sexual deviance. But you need to study your area. For example, in your area, in your region, as you look through your region, are there things in your region like witchcraft, fortune-telling, psychic, Satanism, voodoo, different things in the realms of the occult that indicate that there's some kind of a spirit of witchcraft at work? I'm just throwing this out there for people to think about. Is there a stronghold of things like strip clubs and pornography and sexual deviance in a region? Do you see things like a high crime rate? Do you see bloodshed? Do you see abortions? Is there something like a spirit of murder in the region? And so when you're dealing with this and you study a region, you start seeing what's there as far as the occult, what's there, is there a lot of sexual immorality, are there things like murder, what is in the region, what do you need to pray about? Because there needs to be prayer assignments that the intercessors come together and really begin to pray that God will break open these territories. And our region has definitely got issues I'm going to come to here in a moment. But what about the ancient roots of a region? I'll give you an example real quick and then we'll move off this. But I remember that my wife and I had to drive to California and back. And along our journey, we had gone through um, Nevada. And when we did, you know, we drove near the Vegas area. And so we stopped through that city. But by and large, it's interesting because that city, when you go through it, it's no different to me at all than any other city. And I remember there was like some kind of a chocolate factory or something that we toured. And it was just a real basic. But on our way out, I had asked somebody, I was like, you know, everybody talks about Las Vegas being, you know, this area. I was like, I don't see anything. They said, oh, well, you got to go over there. It was interesting because what you know, unless you've been there, what you know and you hear about in Vegas is actually very small. And it's like a little city within a city. So you have this huge city that there's nothing like that at all there, but then there's this little place that you can drive into. And I remember when we drove into it instantly, you could just feel the heaviness. But let me tell you something about that area in Vegas. Years ago, there was a man by the, names of, uh, a man by the name of Bugsy Siegel and others that were involved in the mafia. And they had purchased that land... And they began to build these huge casinos, etc. And we know the story of what it's become. But even in that ancient history, if you will, not that it's that ancient, but you can see that the very roots of that area was mafia money, and it's corrupt. And in that little hub, there's legalized um, prostitution, 
And there's everything you can imagine going on in there. It's just, and they call, everybody calls it Sin City, so they're always speaking that over it. But whenever we drove through there, you could feel that there was something there. There's definitely like a principality, a ruling spirit over that hub there. But when you left that area and went into the rest of Vegas, which was normal, it felt just like a normal city. So there was something of a spirit just over that area. And as you drove through there, you could see, though, it was, it was crazy because everywhere else in the city looked just like something normal every, every other place we've driven. But when you went into this area, it was like multi-million dollar buildings after building after building. You just drove down through there, turn around and come back out. And it was just so, um, you could tell that there was so much money put into that. But if I was pastoring there, I would really be praying about those issues, even things that go way back to generations past that mafia money etc i deal with that in prayer now also california when we talk about california it is not an area as far as christians as far as our view our worldview it would not be an area that we would consider to be a wonderful place i mean uh, it's it's a wonderful place to visit please hear me i i don't want people in california to get mad at me or something but it's like spiritually speaking um, Los Angeles is known for being one of the most liberal places in our nation. San Francisco is known for homosexuality. And California, Hollywood is known for releasing uh, pollution that's gone all over the world. I could go on and on. And their, their economy is almost broke. Um, anyway, so there's just a lot of issues. But here's the ancient roots that a lot of people don't talk about. When our, the, those that came over the pilgrims, and they landed on our shores in Virginia, and they planted a cross, and they dedicated this land to Jesus. They were basically church people, and they felt that they were missionaries, and they, they came here. And you're not going to hear this a lot at all in schools because they got their little eraser out and erased all this. But this is our actual history. They came here as Christians that felt like they were on an assignment to win as many people as they could to Jesus. And so when they came here, they really began to witness to the Indians, etc. But this was what formed in Virginia. And then as it began to move north up into what we know as New England and then south, the last one was Georgia, but it formed those 13 original colonies. And, you know, we had a school system, we had all this going on, and we were still colonized under Britain. But at some point in time, you guys have heard the expression, the Wild West. And you guys have heard about the gold rush. And what happened was that there was began to be rumors that, hey, there's gold out in the West. And so you didn't have a lot of people. Now, let me say this right. Well, you're not going to have a lot of people that are family men, you know, Bible-believing, church-going people that are just going to up and go across the country looking for quick money. So you had a lot of criminals, you had all these different people that were vagabonds, or maybe they just didn't fit into their town because they were troublemakers. And so they had, hey, you know, I'll just go find some gold. And so all these people started moving west, and they went there looking for, you know, quick money. And as they got there, it became the Wild West, it became something crazy. But that is the beginning of what we know in that part of our nation. Does this make sense? I'm talking about ancient roots. And people in their area should go back in their history and look at that region of their city and begin to really search out what is the history of this area. 
what has happened here? Because these things have played into the prevailing spirit of your region. All right, so let me talk about our region, then I'm going to start moving to a close. This isn't a really long sermon. But in our area, there has been a lot of Freemasonry. Most people that are from this area, not everybody, but a lot of people, have Freemasonry in their ancestry. Just about every single town around here has a Masonic Lodge. And not just a Blue Lodge, but there's places in Dallas, even in Deep Ellum, interesting in Deep Ellum, that there's a Knights of Pythias building where there used to be forms of these uh, secret orders that take, you know, that have been there in the past. But Freemasonry has had a stronghold, and I don't want to get into Freemasonry because it would take a long time, but just trust me that it's very satanic. And if you have Freemasonry in your family's history, and I do, so we had to pray about this, you need to renounce it. And we have something on our website that you can go to on the download page that has a renunciation that's long. It goes through all of it, and I encourage people to go through that. But you need to do it because Freemasonry has got these different degrees and there's blood-curdling oaths, there's satanic rituals, and it's just, it's horrible. And how in the world people can go through it and not some of them be so blinded that they can't see how dark and evil it is. I mean, it's just weird. And not only that, but in all of those rituals, there's three things. I'm sharing this because maybe somebody will hear this that needs to pray about this. But in the first three orders to become a master mason, they have a, a ceremony where the participant is, it's a pretend thing, but it's like they're killed and they're laid down. And then the worshipful master, the one leading it by the, quote, strong hand of the lion's paw or whatever, raises them back from the dead. It's a mock baptism. It's a satanic ritual that's like a baptism, like a death of the old, a resurrection into the new. That needs to be renounced. Another thing that they do, believe it or not, this is so weird, but there's a, there's a degree, I can't remember which one, but they actually have the leaders that will anoint them with oil and pray for them. Isn't that weird? And it's a satanic thing. It's, it's a mockery of what we have in Christianity. And then up, and I believe it's the 32nd degree, they actually have a communion service, but it's a black mass. And they take the elements, but they're denying the Lord Jesus. In doing, they're denying him being the son of God. And here they are taking this. It's like a satanic ritual. And people, listen, people all through this region have this in their grandparents, their great-grandparents, whatever. Their city has these blue lodges there. And a lot of the people involved in it are so low level, they've only gone through a little bit of To them, in their mind, they think they're just part of a fraternity. They have no idea what they've gotten into. They have no idea how serious it is and what they've allowed into their life and into their family line. And then you have churches that have people that are pastors, that have deacon and board members that are in the church that are masons. And what they're allowing into that church. This has been a stronghold. Another thing is the Native Americans. And I have a lot of Cherokee in my ancestry. So when I say all this, I say this in love because, I mean, it's in my ancestry too. But the Native Americans are not known for worshiping Jesus and renouncing all of the gods, okay? They're all steeped in shamanism and occult practice and, you know, witch doctors, whatever you want to call it. And this has been such a stronghold in our region. I know my uncle, for example, passed away a few years ago, but he lived in Paris. And just in his property alone as he went out hunting and all that, he had a huge plaque he had built 
were all these Indian um, arrowheads that he found out there. And I mean, there was a bunch of them. There was probably, I'd say, 30, 40 that he found just on his own. So this area has been really inundated with a lot of Native Americans. There's a lot of places in um, East Texas where, you know, there's, it's known to maybe be Native American burial grounds and things like that. And so these things are ancient in our region, and they've created something in the spirit realm. Another thing in our region is witchcraft. Is it okay that I talk about witchcraft for a moment? All right, so in the Bible, I'm going to deal with the biblical view of witchcraft, not the pointy hat, you know, the crooked nose, the wart, the stirring, the big black pot. Okay, that's all just Hollywood stuff. There may be some weird lady like that out there, right? But, you know, when you're dealing with witchcraft in the Bible, you're dealing with like a snake has two fangs, and you have two different aspects. And Galatians 5.19 says the works of the flesh... And then it talks about witchcraft. You're thinking, well, a work of the flesh, what does that have to do? And it has to do with ungodly control. Somebody that has that Jezebel spirit, and they've got that ungodly control about them, they're not going to submit to anybody. And I've run into that in this region. I'm going to tell you, from talking to many other people down through the years, many other pastors, and seeing this over about a 20-year period I've been in this region, I'm telling you that the Jezebel spirit is serious in this region. Are y'all hearing me? It is a serious problem. And when you're dealing with witchcraft and a Jezebel, you're dealing with somebody that is not going to submit to anybody. They are not going to submit to their husband, and they're not going to submit to a pastor. And any time that a husband or a pastor says, well, you know, you're not going to do that. You're not going to pray for people right now. You're not going to teach. We'll see down the road, but right now, no. When you do that, man, all hell is going to break loose. And I've had to do that sometimes with people. But how many of you guys appreciate that? Would you, want, just ask you, would you want somebody with a Jezebel spirit praying for your wife? Praying for your child? And a Jezebel spirit will operate in false prophecy, counterfeit revelation. It will be very negative about the pastor because of Jezebel's main problem. They... they they will have the biggest problem with that male authority figure. And so you're dealing with witchcraft there. Then you're also dealing with the dark arts. Spell casting and curses and things like that. And that stuff does not need to be taken lightly. A lot of people are very ignorant. And they don't realize that you need to be praying against those things. And so witchcraft has been in our region. Also, uh, religion dead religion has been a very serious problem in our region and when you're dealing with dead religion i cannot get too much into this right now i'll do another sermon on it okay but religion you're dealing with matthew 23 the seven woes of the pharisees but look at the pharisees and sadducees they wanted to have like an ungodly control of what's going on they were prideful they were full of unrighteous judgment and criticism and fault finding. They wanted to debate and argue with Jesus all the time. And it's legalism. The foundation of a religious spirit is pride and fear. But religion is serious in this region. How many churches we have? We have so many thousands of churches around here. But how many of them have any type of a move of God at all? Very few. And it's because of a religious spirit. And also you're dealing 
with a lot of sexual deviance in this region. There seems to be some kind of a lustful spirit, and I believe, in my opinion, that it goes back to Freemasonry and a Jezebel and things like that, these spirits, because there's a lot of lust connected to it. So these are things that have been in our region, and we need to pray because this is serious. And what I've seen in our region down through, you know, 20 years of looking at this, and studying it, and studying the history, studying the revival history that's been here, but also studying the negative history, and all that's happened here, that there's three things that I believe have to do with witchcraft and religion coming together, and it's, it forms this stronghold in this region of religious witchcraft. That's what I call it. Picture like a triangle. Picture Leviathan, Jezebel and Ahab, and then you have religion. And it forms like this religious witchcraft stronghold. And here's what you have. You have disorder. You have where people are getting in positions of power and influence that God never put there. And when that happens, they don't have the grace, they don't have the wisdom, they don't have the anointing to handle it. And it ends up they come under the influence of something that's not of God. That's number one, disorder. And what this religious witchcraft is doing is it wants to make sure that politics, church politics, it's a popularity contest. It's about um, who has the most money or whatever, however you want to look at it. But something is bringing them into a position of power and influence that it's not God. It was something else that got them there. It's through the means of manipulation and control that they're there. And then the people that God has really anointed and mantled and called, that same religious witchcraft spirit, that principality, wants to make sure that they don't have influence. And then also, it's bringing great division among God's people. I have seen so much division in this region. And finally, dishonor and disrespect. And this is created, it's a stronghold that's been in the church realm to where we're not really seeing the level of revival that we need to see. And this is, it's going to take a move of God. I remember that, I believe it was Lila Turhune that talked about this, but she was talking about either her or someone else talking about cross-pollination, which I know she wrote that book. But they were saying that if you took two different bee colonies here, and they each have a queen bee, and they're not going to come together. All right? And let's say one of them, the queen, dies, and they need to come together. And they said that there was um, an individual that was showing them that you can take, like, baby powder or something like that. I think it was baby powder, maybe some kind of talcum or something. But they had sprinkled that out in the air, and it was settling on all the bees. And pretty soon, the scent that separated them, this one had this queen bee, this one had this one, you know, that scent was gone, and it was replaced as a common scent, and they all came together under one queen, and they needed to. And they were showing, and, I, and they were using this as an example, the person that was saying that, you know what, it's going to take the Holy Spirit and His glory to come in to help the unification come. See, a lot of times people think, well, you know, we'll all unify and pray and revival will come. I wish that that were the case. But it's hard to get people unified. But when the Lord comes and his glory comes, it's like that baby powder, if you will. 
And pretty soon everybody starts unifying because of the glory. And so in this region, man, this has been challenging tonight preaching this. But anyway, Luke 10, 3, Jesus said, Go, I am sending you out as lambs among the wolves. And so we know that lambs has to do, you know, we think of Jesus being the Lamb of God. Lambs is those that are going to walk in the nature of Christ. But he said, I'm sending you as lambs among the wolves. And when Jesus taught, wolves was not a good thing. Wolves were those that would carry the nature of the prevailing principality over the region. Whether they called themselves a Christian or not, they carried that wolf nature. And so what the Lord is saying is, if you're going to be effective in, the, in your region, you're going to have to carry the nature of the Lamb of God, even though around you, is wolves and they have a different nature and this can be in the church world see there's a lot of people that may profess christianity around here but to be honest with you they still carry a lot of that wolf nature the prevailing spirit over this region has somehow got a root in their life and they're operating more with religious a religious spirit witchcraft control things like that But God is the one that's going to have to bring the breakthrough. So in our region, there's been this stronghold, and it's been serious, and it's been hard. It's been very challenging for many years. And I've tried to, uh, you know, I'll be careful what I say and how I say it, but I've, you know, I have a lot of pastor friends, and some of these people are dear friends. But even talking to them about prayer and the importance of prayer, and we were coming together, and we were trying to get other pastors to agree with us in prayer about revival, but it was just not a priority with them. And we had even tried to host something here. Um, just say, okay, pastors, you can't come, but send your intercessors. And it wasn't important for that, any of them to send even one intercessor. But it's going to take prayer, earnest prayer, to get the breakthrough. Somebody's got to get the breakthrough. And James 5.16 says, The earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available, dynamic, and it's working. And so for our region, there's got to be this vicarious repentance where we're really getting under the burden of the sin of this region and praying it through that God will come. Do you remember in Daniel chapter 9, I believe, Daniel said, Lord, forgive us for our sins. Even though Daniel was a righteous man, he got under the burden of the sin of the nation of Israel and he even got under the burden of the sin of the fathers, the forefathers. He said, Lord, forgive us for our sin. Forgive us for the sins of our fathers. And you know what? When Daniel prayed that way, it did something because God began to speak to Daniel and began to send Gabriel to show him that, you know, they were going to leave Babylon. And so Daniel's prayers were heard. It was powerful. But there's something about getting under that burden and really praying it through that you're repenting for the sin of your region. And I remember reading about that with Edward Miller and others that they got under that burden for prayer for the Argentine and for the Argentinian people. And they really prayed and they, they repented for that nation. 
And, and at one point in time, they felt that God heard their prayers and something broke. And then we know that years later, a great revival came to Argentina. But it's persistent intercession. It's getting leaders together to pray if possible. You guys remember, um, I've showed those transformation videos recently. And how they'd come together and prayed. Sometimes it was leaders coming together, but other times it was just different people coming together and really praying. But they strategically prayed for their region and they got the breakthrough. And when you pray, God will send his angels on assignment. So the question is, are we really willing to pay the price to get the breakthrough? I was told by an elderly woman who was an intercessor years ago, back in the 90s, we were talking about revival, and she told me something I'll never forget. She said, Scott, listen, she said, you know what? Most full gospel people and most full gospel pastors, they know how to have revival. They know that if you really pray, God will move. They, she said they're just not willing to do it. If it was just for me, that'd be one thing. But I grieve because there's so many people out there in Dallas right now. It was it Saturday night? You know, they're out there partying. They're getting drunk. They're sleeping around. They're on the way to hell. They don't know the Lord. And I'm grieved because we've got to get a breakthrough to see these people get saved. We also need a breakthrough because there's so many people that are just religious. They know who Jesus is, but they really don't know him. They don't have a relationship. Their life certainly doesn't reflect it. And they're not right. And if they enter eternity, where are they going to go? And I'm grieved because we need a breakthrough. We need the Holy Spirit to move. And the Bible says in Zechariah 10, 1, Ask the Lord for rain in the time of the latter rain, so the Lord will make bright clouds and give them showers of rain. This is the time that God is pouring out His Spirit on all flesh. And we need a revival. And this is the time, the Bible says, to ask the Lord for rain in the time of rain. This is the time, and here in the last days, the Bible says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. So we know that God is willing. We just got to press into Him. And you can't get this mentality, which would be kind of a hyper-Calvinism mentality, that whatever will be, will be. What If we pray, if we don't pray, God's going to do what He wants to do. That is not true. God responds to fervent prayer. And God is waiting on us many times to press into Him. We know that it's God's will. The Bible says it's God's will that none perish, but all come to repentance. So why are so many people perishing? So Lord, I pray tonight as I preached on this, what a challenging, um, and just feel, you know, that what's in this region. But Lord, I pray that there will be such a breakthrough. Lord, from this religion, from this witchcraft, Lord, from the things that have held people bound, Lord, let there be great breakthroughs in Jesus' name. Lord, we thank you for it. Let's go ahead and shut down recordings. If you would, just play, um, play that iPod again. I want you where you're at. I want you all to really help me pray for a moment. And just ask the Lord where you're at that he would move, man, in this region. We've got to.